0: Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peak's downloadable messages and podcast. Well, again, welcome, and if you're here for the very first time, uh, we're so glad you're here. Every week, God's bringing more people to join us on this journey, and we're just excited about that, so welcome. Uh, hope you feel at home. Inside of your program is a message note sheet. We're going to be going to our time of teaching. That's what we do every week, and so you want to reach that in, pull that out. That, that'll help you, and we're going to kick off this new series. So if you guys are set, I'm ready to go. Y'all, y'all ready to go? All right, amen, let's pray. God, we're just thankful for what you're doing. We're excited the way you're transforming. What we're learning about how when we come to you, that you enter, we enter into covenant, your spirit comes into our life, he begins to change us from the inside out. And As we, we listen and follow, we become transformed to become like you. And we're so excited for what you're doing in our lives, what you're teaching us And today, God, as we move in this whole new territory of what does it look like to be like you and to to become a person that just is is totally a giver, loves to give, loves to bless, loves to be used to extend your kingdom, love others well, Uh, we pray that you would really speak to us in power and, and talk to us by name and that you would begin to unpack for us what does it look like to be like you in this area of our life? And we pray this in your name, amen. Well, today we are continuing this. Are starting this brand new series called "The Power to Give," uh, Jesus and Generosity. And for those who are new, I want to welcome and just bring you up to speed. This this series is really based on uh, on a letter that was written from a man that we did call the Apostle Paul to a church that he had started. Uh, in a major metropolitan seaport in southern Greece, that was called the name, the, the name of the city was corinth and it 's still there today and so Paul had come in he, he shared the, the message of Jesus the very first time the message of Jesus had come to this major entre- entrepre- entrepreneurial town that many compare many, many would uh, ca- kind of say it 's sort of like New York meets San Francisco meets las vegas, and so it 's the first time the message of Jesus is shared, and so many people come to Christ the church has started paul is there for about a year and a half. But then, of course, he has to go on start other churches. And so as he leaves in the subsequent years, he's writing letters to them to mentor them. What does it look like to really follow Jesus? And from time to time, they, they would really get off track. And so we have a couple of these letters that he wrote, not all of them, but we call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and they're, they're part of our New Testament. And so in the this, this second this Corinthians, is what's going on is that there's some new teachers that have re- recently come to this church, and they're introducing a new teaching, a different gospel, a different Jesus. They're undercutting Paul's authority. He's not a real apostle. Don't trust him. Trust us. And so, so Paul's having to jump back in to help straighten this thing out and bring them back to Christ. And, and one of the things that he's doing, uh, he's, he's going to go and he's going he's to visit them a second time to help kind of get them back on track. But when he goes the second time, that trip just goes haywire, it's a a crazy trip. When he gets there, these rogue leaders have risen up, the church is following them, and Paul realizes that if he jumps in and tries to to solve this whole thing, kind of brings his apostolic big guns out and starts shooting, the people are gonna get hurt. This, This church is gonna go through a major split. So instead of that, he pulls away, goes back to Ephesus where he started, and he writes them a very pointed, kind of a, a harsh, sort of a severe, painful with tears letter just calling him back to Jesus, back to the gospel, back to him as their spiritual leader. And the good news is that when Titus, which is his whose right-hand man, delivers it to Corinth, uh, the good news is they respond well. And they realize the error of their ways. They come back to Jesus, come back to Paul. And so Titus has just gotten back to Paul with this good news that this church has turned around. They're, they're loving God. They're loving you. They, they want to get back on track. And they're looking forward to your third visit. And so if you've been with us throughout this whole series of 2 Corinthians, uh, that's, that's what happens in chapter 7. Titus is back with his great report, right? So, so now that Paul knows that they're back on track, they've been reconciled with God and him, it's time to bring up a whole new topic, a topic he's had to put on the back burner for a while. And it's, the topic is what we would call here at Rocky Peak, an initiative for the poor, like we just talked about. And so let me step back and explain what's going on. The church at Jerusalem is where the movement of Jesus started. For whatever reason, we're not really sure why, it was always an extremely poor church. And when I say poor, I mean, they're they're struggling just to to, to make it, you know? And and so we don't know if it's due to persecution and they lost their jobs or whether it's because of a couple major famines we know from from the Bible and secular history that, that happened during this time span, but they're going through a severe economic depression. And so God has put it on Paul's heart to take a collection from his Gentile churches that he started. And remember, the churches of Jerusalem is all Jewish, right? His churches are primarily Gentile. And in the ancient world before Jesus came, Jews and Gentiles don't even have dinner together. So the thought of having one movement, one church of Jesus where both Jews and Gentiles is a, together, loving one, it's revolutionary thought. And so Paul wants to take this offering from his Gentile churches that are a thousand miles away, have never met, will never met these Jewish believers, different culture, different place, and he wants to take an offering to help them out. But it's not only to help them out financially, but you can see how powerful this would be if Gentile churches give a generous offering to Jewish to churches, primarily Jews. It's just a picture of the love of Christ and how Jesus breaks down barriers and how he creates new relationship because as we all know, that nothing says I love you like money, right? So so, so anyway, so Paul is Uh, About a year ago, about a year before this letter, uh, Paul has shared this project with the church of Corinth before this whole crisis of leadership came up. And when he shared it, they were all over it. They were so excited. God touched their hearts. They wanted to give. In fact, they began to give immediately, generously. They promised that they would give more in the future. They'd start saving up. That uh, They they, they made pledges, you know, kind of campaign pledges that they would give to this project. Then the crisis comes up. When the crisis comes up, no way Paul can go and try to raise money. They're not even sure they're going to follow him. and so. But now that they're back on track, now that Titus has arrived, Paul says, okay, now it's time to get back on track with this project. And so what's going to happen is this series is based on two chapters, chapters 8 and 9 of Second Corinthians. They're all about this project. And what Paul is going to do in this, this passage today, uh, which is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 9, what he's basically going to do is he's, he's going to tell them a story. He's going to set this up. By, by telling them a story of what God is doing to the, in the churches to the north of them. So for us, it'd be like no-cal, you know, like the like Northern California, that he says that, that God is doing an amazing thing in this province to the north of us, which is the province of Macedonia. And he begins to unpack it. These believers up there are going through an ex- extremely difficult time in their life. Major persecution, we believe, as we look at the text. They're suffering for Jesus. Uh, uh, they're losing their jobs or whatever. They're financially really struggling, and so when Paul shares this project, he knows they're really hard up financially, and he's not really expecting to be able to give much. But what happens is when he shares it, God just so supernaturally moves in their heart, he begins to change them in the inside out. They just have a passion to give. And so not only do they give, they, they give more than they can afford because, because God is transforming them, right? And so what Paul is doing is he's using this as an example. He says, let me tell you what God has just done in the churches to the north. He's done a supernatural thing. And of course what he's doing is he's setting them up to say, hey, so be open to what he wants to do in your life. He's motivating them. But in the process that he's giving them some great teaching about how we should think about generosity and giving and our resources. And, and so in the process for us as a the church this is honestly some of the best teaching in all the Bible chapters 8 and 9 on what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in terms of our resources our finances our generosity And so I'm really excited about this because just like for them, this was the next step in their journey of following Christ. I believe it's sort of the the next step that God has for us in our journey uh, as a church. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up, or or your your, uh, 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 iPads or whatever, your your phones or whatever you're using. Go ahead and open them up to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, and we're going to walk through Uh, this passage together, which I've labeled there on your note sheet as a, uh, sort of as a a case study. 2 Corinthians chapter eight and verse one. So here we go. He says, and now brothers, uh, so he's changing the subject. Remember chapter seven, Titus just got back, great news, we're back on track. So now he's changing the subject. He says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's the churches to the north. Now, he says, I want to tell you what God has done. It's an amazing story. These churches to the north. But notice the word he says. He says, uh, I, I want you to, to, uh, to know about the, the what? We said, say it together, the what? Grace. The grace, okay? Very important word. He says, I, I want you to know about the grace that God has given. And so when you, when you think of the word grace, the apostle Paul, if you're a longtime believer, that right away you think of this amazing love that God has had for us, that though we've rebelled against him as a race, he sent his son to die for us so we could be made right with God while we were his enemies, uh, and it's based not on our performance, but on his, right? So we think of that as amazing grace. We're saved by grace, and of course, that's true. That's how Paul normally uses the word. But he also uses the word in a wide variety of ways. In fact, in this chapter, these two chapters, Paul is gonna use the Greek word grace or a form of it 10 times in, in two chapters. And often when he's talking about grace, he's not just talking about the grace that brought us to Christ, but he's talking about the grace that God releases in our life Which gives us the power to change, the power to follow, the 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 spiritual gifts that God gives, this grace he gives. So so I often like to say that God graces us in several different ways. It's a supernatural move of God. And that's what he wants to tell them about. He says, I want you to, and we want you to know about the grace God has given in these churches to the north, the Macedonian churches. So here we go, here's the story. So he says, out of their most severe trial, and so they're going through very hard times, probably persecution. Uh, he says they're overflowing what? What's the next word? Joy. Let's say it together. Overflowing what? Joy. Interesting. Overflowing joy. Uh, and their extreme what? Poverty welled up in rich what? Generosity, so, so, look, so really, it's, really, it's, it's kind of, you never see this one coming. So Paul says, I come into town, they're going through severe hardship, probably being persecuted for Jesus, losing their jobs, times are hard. They're, they're under severe poverty, extreme poverty, and yet when I share this, this, this project, it's just kind of blows me away because what's welling up is this extreme joy and this rich generosity. It's like, you wouldn't expect it. It's like two and two equals four, but this time two and two is equal six. It's like it's totally blowing him away. And so he goes on in verse four, 3 and he says, For I testify, you know, I, I, I promise I take the witness stand. so help me God. I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So God's so moved in their hearts, they just, they're just wanted to give. I don't know if they're putting on their credit cards or what, but they're just kind of going beyond. And so entirely on their own, catch that, underline, entirely on their own. Paul's not manipulating, he's not guilting them. It's just entirely on their own. They urgently, catch, they pleaded with us for this privilege of sharing in this service, or in the Greek, the ministry to the saints. Now, now, for those of you in Catholic background, uh, saints in the New Testament just means a Christ follower, someone who's come to Christ. It's, it's the normal word for a Christian. And so, uh, in Greek, it means the holy ones, set apart ones. got set apart for God. And so, he says, uh, they urgently pleaded with us for this privilege of sharing in this ministry to these believers, okay? And so, so here they're poor, they're struggling, they're, they're, being, they're going through persecution, hard times, and yet and yet, God just moves their hearts supernaturally, just begging Paul that they, they want to be a part, and they, they see this as incredible privilege. And one of the things we're going to be seeing today is that before we come to Jesus, we often see, not always, but we often see generosity as sort of an obligation, it's sort of a duty, something we need to do, but what we're going to see today is that when God begins to get a hold of us and changes from the insight to be like Jesus, that giving no longer becomes a, a duty or an obligation. It becomes an incredible privilege. Because we begin to see that God is in this. God is using this. God is extending his kingdom. God is meeting the needs of the poor. God is, do- and, and that we, that God has invited us to be able to be part of this thing to do. You know, and, and you know how this is. Like, like for many of you, you have kids and you sacrifice for them. And most of the time you don't resent that, right? You, you, It's a privilege. It's because you love them. It's a privilege to do this. And so this is what God does in their hearts. For, for these believers, they never met over a thousand miles away, different culture. There's like, this is such a privilege. And so he says, verse 5, so they didn't do as we expected. In other words, they did more than we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, this project, in keeping with God's will. And so they they went through the process, and we're going to talk about this later on today, this this kind of two-step process. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Lord, we belong to you, and so what do you want us to do and then the second step is as God moved them to give, they said, okay, now we'll give to you, Paul. So it's kind of a two-step giving process, and, and we'll, talk, we'll talk about that more later. And so in verse six, so he says, so we urged Titus, remember Titus is Paul's right-hand uh, co-worker, uh, uh, you know, he would be like one of the senior pastors here, if I was sending off in a an mission. And so, so he says, so, so we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, Remember, he had just come back from Corinth. He, he had told them, he apparently he had started talking about this, this offering again. He says, so we've urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, that he would come back to you and bring also to completion this act of what? Act of grace. Don't miss that. Uh, on your part. So God is gracing you, and now you're giving grace to others. And he says, so just as you excel in everything, in other words, he says, you're growing now, you're back on track, you're growing in all kinds of areas of your life, and he gives some examples. Just as you excel in everything, in your faith, and your speech, in your knowledge, and your spiritual insight, in your complete earnestness, your, you know, your passion for God, and in your love for us, because now they come back, Paul, we're so sorry, we've repented, we were so wrong, please forgive us, we can't wait to see you. He says, since God is doing all that in your life, he says, see to it that you now excel in this what? Grace. This grace of what? Giving. giving. So what he's saying is, God has worked in your life in so many amazing ways, and now it's time for you as a church to take this next step and follow Jesus in a new area, this grace of giving. And so Paul says, I'm not commanding you. Uh, you know, he's an apostle. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, and so he says. So, so here's I, I said. Titus just got back. He's given me this incredible report. You're back on track, right? You're you're loving God. You're, you you want to love people. You love us. You're you're growing again. I've got this amazing report. But now we're going to test it out and see if you're really serious. Because before, before this coup happened, before the rogue leaders, I shared with you this mission, this project, and you were all over it. You began to give generously. Uh, uh, you, you pledged your money. You're going to give more in the future. And so now you're claiming to be back on track. And so now it's time to see if you're really serious about that. So it's kind of a test to see if it's just words or, or you're really coming back to Christ in seriousness. And so... And then he says, and I'm, and I'm going to test it by comparing it with the earnestness of others, like these, these churches to the north, right? The God, the God's, they're open to what God's doing, and you can see how God's moving so powerfully. So we're going to kind of compare your lives with their lives to see how sincere your repentance uh, really is. And then he says, "For you know that the, you know the what? The grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes. He became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so Jesus, of course, is the ultimate model. And we often miss this, don't we? That, that, you know, we we understand Jesus came and went to the cross and we we, we kind of were really focused in on that the price he paid to to die for us in our our salvation. We get that. But what we often forget is the tremendous price that Jesus paid just to come into our planet, right? He's the creator of the universe. He lives in the greatest gated community uh, of the cosmos. And, and so he's going to come to earth. He's going to become a human being. The creator is going to become the created. He's going to come and he's going to come and not just come, he's going to be poor, uh, born to a poor couple in a third world country in the backwaters of uh, of, of Nazareth and Galilee. He's going to grow up as a poor man. You know, his folks are so poor that when he's born and they take him to the temple to dedicate him as required by the law, they couldn't afford a lamb. That was the normal sacrifice. You couldn't afford the lamb, but in God's word, he had said that if you can't afford a lamb, then if you're so poor, you can could, you could bring two doves, and that can be your sacrifice. And guess what they brought? His parents brought They brought the two doves. I mean, it was a poor family that he was born into. He grew up as a poor man. And so Paul says, hey, look, but the reason he did it was us because of this amazing love. So, so Paul says, hey, look, remember who we follow. Remember who we are as Jesus, who though he was rich, he became poor. It was the greatest downsize in human history right? It's, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like take, imagine you, you, you close down your house today or your apartment, and you sell everything you own, and you move to, to live in the slums of Calcutta. I kind of picture that. And now multiply that a lot. <laughs> and you get a feel for the price that Jesus paid kind of financially, lifestyle. He's the ultimate example of someone who decreased his standard of living, so he could increase his standard of giving, okay? So so that's the passage that Paul lays out. He starts off, uh, let me tell you about this church to the north, this amazing thing that God has done supernaturally in their lives uh, to change them from the inside out, to be like Jesus. I'm sharing with, I wanna teach you how to follow in their footsteps so you can experience this work of grace in your life and become like Christ, right? So there's the passage. Now, here's what I wanna do. I absolutely love this passage there are four principles that stand out of it for us. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the area of finances, generosity, giving? And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Generosity 101, The Grace of Giving. And so let's jump in. The first one is that generosity is a gift. The first principle is that generosity is a gift. In, other, in other words, if, if you're going to become like Jesus in the area of generosity, It's going to be like every other area of growth in your your spiritual life. It's going to happen as a result of God's supernatural work in your life, okay? So it's like if we're going to grow to be like Jesus in the area of generosity, financial generosity, it's going to take a work of God in our life, right? It's supernatural because none of us are born this way. The way we're born is we're going to hold on to everything we have. We're afraid to give things away. We won't have enough. There's a natural sense to build our identity through what we own, and and, and money opens the door to certain uh, uh, privilege and power and so on. And so our natural instinct is to hold on. And so if we're going to become, like Jesus, a joyful giver, it's going to require a supernatural work of God in our life, just like any other area. So so catch this. Throughout 2 Corinthians, we've been talking about this. When a man or woman comes to, to Christ, they enter into that triangle. Remember, they enter into covenant with God. The Holy Spirit comes in, and he begins to transform us from the inside out. Remember we talked about that? And that and our job is just to, to follow, to listen to what he's saying and follow. And what Paul is, is teaching us is that when it comes to generosity, it's the exact same way. That we often think of giving or generosity as a different kind of transformation. But the reality is, if you're going to become like Jesus, this is going to take a supernatural work of God in your life. Like, I don't know if we had a scale of 1 to 10 of generosity where you would mark yourself. But what I'm telling you is if you're going to become like Jesus, you can't do this on your own. It requires the work of God. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 1, where he says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the what? About the what? About the what? The grace that God has given. And, And do you see how many times that word is used in this passage? This whole story of what God has done in Macedonia, it's a story of grace. It's a story of God supernaturally. I mean, these people, they're, they're getting arrested, they're thrown in prison, they're losing their jobs, they're having a hard time putting food on the table, severe recession, and yet when Paul shares this message that God has so touched their life, they're begging him. And they're like, no, Paul, and he's like, no, you're, you're giving too much, you don't have enough. He says, no, 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 they're, they're pleading with him. We just really wanna do this. And they're giving all they can afford, and they're giving more than they can afford. Can, can you agree with me? That is not natural right it's not the way we're born into the world it's the way Jesus is but it's not the way we are and so if we're going to grow in this area of generosity it is a supernatural work of God and that gives me great hope in my life because I'm not on my own to change myself this is the Jesus will do this in me right now like every other area of growth as we've learned through this series if we want to be transformed we have to listen and follow don't we and so it's not automatic, like you're not just going to become a Christian, automatically become a generous person because this is a step of these steps along the way where God says, okay, now take this step or do this or give to that or this is how much you give here or what And as we listen and follow and we surrender to him, then, then we're transformed, all right? But he's in charge of it. We're not in charge of it. He's the leader. We're just the cooperator, right? And, and he changes us. Okay, so number one, that they give, uh, generosity is a gift. And number two is uh, generosity is a test. And I got to warn you. Uh, there's going to be some heavy hitting, probably, in this point, uh, based on the first two messages. I, I'm going to come on fairly strong. We'll, we'll see what happens. But um, uh, I, I want to I tell you something, uh, remind you of something as your pastor. My job, at least this is how I understand my job, when I'm up here teaching, my, my job is to bring you the truth of Jesus, because it's the truth that will set you free. And my goal for your life my goal for my life is that we would become passionate Christ followers. That we would, we would love him with all of our heart, our mind, and soul. And, and so I'm, I'm committed to always delivering the truth to you because I believe it's the truth that will set you free and transform you and release that passion. And so there are sometimes as your pastor, I have to share tough things. I have to share hard things. But, but I share them because I do love you deeply and I want to see that transformation come. And so we... we We enter into this point, I'm just telling you, if I lose control, it's because I love you. All right, so (laughs) so here we go. Number two, the second thing we learn about this passage is that generosity is a test. Uh, It is a test of whether we're serious about following Jesus or not. And this point flows out of chapter 8 and verse 8, where Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to what? One person got it. You're so car- everyone's diving for cover. I don't know what's coming, but I'm going under right now. I'm just closing my Bible. I'm changing to USA today. I'm learning the portion. Uh So let's read it again. In eight a it says, I, "I'm not commanding you, but I want to what test. I want to what yes. test the sincerity of your what you love." It. So, so here's the scene. Titus has just come back. Paul, they, they're, they're, they've removed this rogue leader. They've kicked him out. Uh, they've come back to you. they come back to Christ. Uh, they're, they're loving you. They want to get back on track. And Paul says, okay, that's awesome. He says, but now is your chance to prove it. Because before this crisis happened, before this happened, um, that you were all in this project. You, you were the first to give. You gave generously. You promised to give more. And so, so now that you're claiming to come back and you're back on track, let's, let's test that out and see if this is just words or if it's sincere. And we're going to test it by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Here's what God's done up there. And, and we know that that's what God will do in your life if you open your heart. And so let's see if you're ready to open your heart. It's a test. You see, it's, it's a test of whether you're serious about following Christ. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus often teaches us. Jesus often teaches that finances are a test. And for example, like there's a a passage in in Luke 16, and it's not on your note sheet, but I mean, it's it's not written out there, but the passive reference is there, but let me walk you through it. What Jesus basically said is that when we come to him, that, that everything we own and everything we have now belongs to him. And so we are no longer owners of our property or our resources, or our salary. We, we are managers, okay? So we, the biblical word is stewards, we, we manage it for him. And so then here's what Jesus said, that Jesus watches our life and he sees whether we're responsible managers or not. He, he watches how we spend, how we give, how we invest, how we, you know, how we make our money, and he, just, he watches that and he sees if we're being responsible. He says, and, and this is what he said, he said, if you're faithful in the small things, then God will trust you with the things that really mattered. What he calls true riches. And he says the small things are the finances. If you read in kind, it's the small finances. So God's kind of watching to see how you handle the resources I've entrusted in you, all your assets, your money, your salary. He's resting to see. And he says, and, and, then, uh, and then he will uh, kind of respond in kind. If, he, if you're faithful in little, he'll be faithful in much, and he'll trust you with the things that really matter. Uh, spiritual growth uh, 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 the, the power to uh, impact other lives uh, rewards for the next life and often even entrust you with more resources financially because now he knows he can trust you and this won't destroy you all right so, so so he's kind of watching over and at the end of that teaching on stewardship and and faithfulness and all this is what he said it's there in your note sheet it's luke 16 and he says no one can serve what Two masters, he says, okay, you can't serve two masters. There's got to be one top dog in your life. And he says, either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and what? Money. And so Jesus said, Jesus never said this about something else. He never said you can't serve God and fame. He never said you can't serve uh, God and sex. He never said you can't serve God and your family. He never said, not, not that those other things aren't true, but he just never said it. The one thing that he chose to say this about the only time he said this is you cannot serve God and money. And the question is why would he focus on money? And I think the reason is, as a human race, one of the biggest competitors for God in our life is money, right? That one of the greatest idols in our life is money. And so before we come to Jesus, this is we, we worship at the altar of money. The, 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 the things, the, the possessions, materials, the things that money can buy, the power it brings. It's one of our greatest gods. And so when we come to Jesus, every one of us has to decide, is Jesus gonna be our king, or is money gonna be our king? And it's, just, it's like a core Uh, It's a core issue that every Christ follower has to decide, right? So what Jesus is saying is the reason is is because when push comes to shove, you can't have two masters right? So so let's picture this. Let's picture that one of us comes to Jesus. We said, you know, I've heard the message of salvation. I've heard the gospel. I I, I realize that you're Lord. I do believe that. Jesus, I want to follow you, all right? He says, but, however, I have one exception. There's one area in my life which is very personal to me, and I just don't feel comfortable talking with you about it because it's very personal, and that's my money, Right, So I want you to know, Jesus, that I will follow you uh, and I will surrender my life to you and I will follow your leading and your teaching of my life. But you need to understand that I'm reserving one area of my life where I, I'm not going to let you talk. You, you can talk to me about it, but I'm not necessarily going to follow. So feel free to ask, but I, I may say no. All right. So so are we good? Now, how do you think that conversation is going to go over? It's like, uh... No, I don't think so, all right? I, I don't think that's really going to work. That, that by definition, when we come to Jesus, we come to him as Lord, and that means that we surrender all that we are and all that we have, and one of the biggest competitors in our life is, is money. And so Jesus says, you can't serve two masters, because sooner or later, I'm going to ask you to do something with your money. And if, if money is your God, you're going to say no, and you're going to stop following me. He says that you cannot have two top masters in your life. You can't have two lords. Either Jesus is on the throne or money is on the throne, but you just, you can't have two. And and so what he's, he's, he's not just being mean about it. He's just saying this is the way it works. Like you can't have two ultimate gods in your life. It just doesn't work that way. And so you have to decide. And so it becomes, uh, the way we respond to our money is really a litmus test of whether we're serious about following Christ or not. Now let me say this, that this is one of those areas where, where I truly believe that as, as people who believe we're Christ followers, we can truly fool ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. We can think that we're following Jesus, Well, we're really not, you see? I think of that, uh, that, that the story in the, in the Bible, you remember the story of this young man who comes to Jesus. He, he's really a godly guy, he's following the word, uh, he, just, he wants to save eternal life, he happens to be very rich. He comes to Jesus, we're told this story twice in the gospels at least, he comes to Jesus, he asks him, what does it take to have eternal life? You remember this question? And so Jesus kind of walks through his spiritual history, there's a spiritual inventory, it all sounds good. And, and then Jesus discerns something, he says to this young man, he says, you know what, there's one thing, there's one thing left, is that, that I know you're rich and everything, but I need you to leave all that, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And, and do you remember what, what happened? What, what, what happened is it it says that Jesus looked on him and loved him. It's one of the very few places there's something like Jesus looked at him and he loved him, right? He just really likes this kid. Uh, and, but remember what happened is, it, is that the young man says, no, that's too price, it's too high a price to pay. And so he turns around and he walks away. And it says that Jesus, the young man went away sorrowful. Now here's what I want you to catch in that story. To me, it's one of the saddest stories in all the Bible. This amazing kid who wants to follow Jesus but's not willing to pay the price of surrendering the area of his life. But here's what I want you to catch. I want you to catch that Jesus did not go after him. Jesus did not negotiate, right? He, he didn't come back and say, hey, I'm sorry, I realized it was a lot. You know, let me rephrase that. You know, I, I, I realize it's a little different you following because you, you're loaded, you know, these other people following, they're kind of losers. They don't have anything going, you know, but, man, you, you've got the corporation. You've got the money in the bank. You, you've got millions. You've got this estate fund from your dad. And, man, I realize it's, it's a little harder for you to give up everything than these other, than the other guys because they they're just broke, you know. And it's like, what do they got anyway? I'm all I got. Well, they got a boat, got some nets, you know, whatever, some fish, you know. It's no big price to pay, you know, but for you, I realize, you know, Fortune 500, you know. So, hey, let's, let's negotiate. Let's, hey, would you give me like half? Would you give me half to the poor? Just say half. Can you, can you do that? Can you go that far? It never happens, right? And, and it never happens because money is a heart issue. It doesn't matter how much we, it's better. Well, does he have a heart, right? And so, and so Jesus doesn't negotiate in this issue. Can, can I tell you something, men and women? Let me tell you something. We, we come in and we sing songs like today, and we, we say, I'm yours, I'm yours, right? We sing this song over and over, I'm yours. And we sing that song, and the question is, is that true? Is that true in your life, or or is that a lie? And and are you coming to church, and you're you're singing songs that, Jesus, I'm yours, and it's a flat-out lie. And can I tell you, if it's a lie, it's offensive to God. It's like Israel in the Old Testament bringing their sacrifices to God, living like hell during the week. And they come, they bring their sacrifices and their prayers. In Isaiah chapter 1, God says, stop praying. Stop bringing your meaningless incense, your meaning off. Your incense is nauseating to me. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. I'm sick of you coming to church. You're just messing around. You're not following me, right? And so we come to, let let me put it this this way. This is where it's going to get very personal for you. And just remember that no one else knows what you're thinking. Right. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but let me ask you something. And this is a hard question. If right now I were to flash up on these screens, and in one column I was going to put your income, I "This is how much you made in 2011." All right. And in the right column, we're going to put down how much you gave, whether it's to this ministry, whether it's to a parachurch ministry, whether it's gifts to the poor, it's giving to people in your life group to help them out, whether it's giving to a community project. You think? That, and we're going to put in the right column, "This is how much you gave." right? And, and we, we put it up there for you, your numbers, we put it up there. Here's the question, was, was, would there be enough evidence on that screen to convict you of being a follower of Jesus? Or would you be deeply ashamed as we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I claim to be a follower, and that is clearly not reflected in what I'm giving? You know, earlier this year, we did a series called The Simple Life, and putting first things first. It was a series all about priorities. Probably many of you are here, a lot of you are here. And, and you remember in there, we, we talked about that. We learned this principle. If we want to put the first things first, we have to what? Put the first things first. And we said there was two places to look right away to see what the priorities in your life. You remember what those places were? Your, yeah, calendar and your checkbook, right? And, and so, so we come into a place like this and we sing songs. God, you're amazing. you You're all I need. Uh, I, I'm yours. And the question is, that is that true in your life? Would, would you, or are you absolutely fooling yourself that you're more like that rich, rich young man who came, you're going to church, you're reading the Bible, you're, you're you know, Jesus, I want to follow you. But in this area, you've never surrendered all that you are and all that you have to him. And, and you're just, you're flat out playing games. And if Jesus were here, he would send you away sorrowfully with tears in his eyes he said you know you don't get it this is what i need this is what i need if you're going to follow me right so so our finances become a test of whether we're serious about following god or not and and catch this i'm not talking amounts here i'm not talking amounts right i'm talking about your heart i'm talking about your heart that's where it starts the amounts are between you and god i'm talking about your heart now number three The, the, third, um, the third principle that jumps out, and I love this principle, is that generosity is a process. And what I mean by this is in this in this passage, Paul kind of spells out this amazing, beautiful process. It's a tremendous paradigm for us as followers to, to, to approach our giving. Because if you're sitting here, you're a follower of Jesus. That, that you have so many people are coming your way, right? You, you have a church to support right, right here, right? You've got a parachurch ministries. You may have uh, people that have come, or missionaries that approach you. You, you have uh, opportunities in your life group. There's opportunities to give to the poor. There's all the initiatives. There's all these different opportunities. We have limited resources. So we always have to decide, God, okay, well, okay, I give all I am to you, but how much do you want me to give and where, right? Just practically, we need some help. And so, uh, Paul gives us some great, a great paradigm, and I love his paradigm, and it comes in verse five, and he says, they did not do as we expected, in other words, they were more generous than he expected, but they gave themselves first to, the, to whom? The Lord, I said say it again, they gave themselves first to whom? The to the Lord, so it's the first step of generosity, of giving, is to give ourselves to, to the Lord. Now then let me let me uh, let me so, so we're gonna, gonna say all that we are, all we have. So let, me, let me illustrate this from my, my own life. Just kind of kind of model this out. So a lot of you know that that I have a motorcycle, right? And I love my motor. I I, I started riding motorcycles when I was young, and then I backslid and I sold them, and uh, and so uh, so for many years. Then I was kind of away from Jesus, and and then you know, but a few years ago he got got like, repented, and and I bought a Harley, right? So. So, so I have this this black Harley. that's it's just it's just incredible. I mean, it sits in my garage. I got the black. I got the chrome on it. I mean, I work out in my garage. There's times when I just sit and look at my Harley, and it's just like. Um, you know, if it, like if it was a woman, it would be illegal, you know, but it's just like, I just stare at this this, this amazing, you know, machine, it's this work of art, and, and I'll tell you, I get it, when I get on that thing, and you get that throttle going, and you take off, it's just a, that low grumble power, just, you know, that rumble, it's just like, it's just the feeling of freedom that I get, I love that, I've, I've ridden across the United States, I ride locally, a couple weekends ago, I wasn't teaching, I just, I got to go to San Francisco for the day, rode to San Francisco, came back the next day, just I love my Harley, right? But you have to understand that I, I truly see that Harley as a gift from Jesus in my life. I, I truly do. And, and I understand this, that there may come a day where Jesus comes and says, I need that Harley. I need you to sell that Harley because I need to use that money over here. And, and can, you, can I tell you something? That, that the moment he asks, the answer is gonna be yes, sir. And is there anything else you need? Do you need my house? I want me to sell my house. I to sell my car. You want me to sell my wife? I just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, Lynn, Sorry. Uh, just kidding. Can't carry away there. Uh, anyone have an extra room uh, tonight to just? I could ride my Harley over and just kind of park it there, and you can see how amazing it is, and. I remember a few years ago, we were going through a time, and, and we have a nice home that God's provided, and so it's a great place for people to meet, and next-step desserts and all that, but but I, I was just saying, God, you know, there's so many needs in the world out there. There's so many people struggling, poor, uh, there's needs here at Rocky Peak, uh, we've got retirement case. would it be better for us to, to sell this, and do you want us to downsize it, and, and then do you want us to do our, our money a different way, and, and give away more, what do we want? And we went through that process, and we prayed about it, both Lynn and I prayed about it for about a month, and... And she just had this word from God that was very clear and, and strong that I just felt c- confirmed. And the word was, I've given you this home at this point in your life for a refuge. And, and it totally is, is. Our home is a refuge for us right now. And, and this is a, a high demand job and to have a place, it's, it's, just, it's a gift. It's a gift from God, right? And so, so we asked and he gave. But I want you to understand that that house belongs to the Lord. If he said yes, downsize, it's like, great. Where do you want me to go? Apartment? Where do you want me to go? You know, when, what, what, what do you want me to do? Sell, rent? What? You see, that for, as believers, all that we own and all that we have belong to, to Jesus. And it's always the first step to remind ourselves. And so, whenever there's a, a giving opportunity, there's, there's a project, there's a thing, the first step is we, we, we go before the Lord and we get down on our knee where we started this journey, where we started this journey with Jesus. We say, Jesus, I, I just want you to know that, that I, once again, I'm here to give myself to you. I, this, the, Paul has this amazing project that's poor in Jerusalem. It sounds really legit, sounds awesome. But my first step is I'm going to give myself to you. All I own is you. I'm a manager. I'm a steward. I, it's not mine. I, so what do you want me to do? First step, give ourselves to the Lord. The second step then is to give as he directs us. And that's what happened in this situation. You look at 8.5. He says, they did not do as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with what? God's will. And so what happened is is they're praying. God is just moving on their heart and he's just putting this desire and giving them direction. Yes, give and give sacrificially. And so they gave all that they could afford and even more than they can afford. And this is such a beautiful paradigm for us is that that as we approach giving, that we give ourselves first to the Lord, God, and then you tell me, God, what what do you want me to give? How much to give? Whom to give? Here I am. All it is belongs. Does that make sense? And I tell you, there's such a freedom to this. There's such a freedom when we surrender Uh, our our finances to him we just kind of move into a whole new level of relationship with him now number four uh, the fourth principle is that Jesus is the model and of course we talked about this earlier Jesus is the ultimate model but many times we don't give we don't understand that Jesus is a giver it's who he is it's his great joy to give like he didn't come to earth reluctantly he, he didn't like have, you know, tears in his eyes as he, you know, locked a door in heaven and like, okay, here I go, you know. It's like he came with joy, right, because he, he loves us deeply. We're going to see later in this series that God the Father is, is, is a model, that, that he gave his best, right? This is, who, this is who God is. God is a giver. And so catch this, his vision for your life is to change you completely, that you would be like him. And it would be your greatest joy to give and to be used of God to do things that matter forever, that, that change things forever. And, and so, so Jesus, you know, one of the things we're told about him is in Acts chapter 20, we're told that one of the things that Jesus taught he, it was, was that it's better to give than to receive. And so on your note sheet. And, and you know, um, when I was a kid, I hated that verse, right? Because my dad was always like, kind of bring it out at Christmas time. You know, like, as you're thinking, you're making your list, you know, just remember, it's better to give than receive. It's like, shut up. You know, it's like, 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 I I gotta want to hear that. You know, it's just like, yeah, whatever. It's just one more thing when you're a kid, like, yeah, God, whatever. And so, uh, it's like, no, it's not. It's better to receive, right? Bring it on. Fill out my list, you know? You do the giving for you. Hey, it's better to give. You do that part. I'll do the receiving part. And we'll both be happy, right? And so that's how we're born into the world. Like, like when you have little kids, you don't have to teach them to receive. You have to teach them to share, right? Like do you have any little kids that they're around, they're just giving everything away. I guess you get up, your teenager comes to you, hey, mom, that's amazing. I can't believe that you, you bought me my own uh, iPad for Christmas. It's such a generous gift, but mom, my, my heart is breaking for you. I've been noticing you don't have enough dresses, right? You haven't gone out to lunch. You're making too much sacrifice. Mom, I want, can we take this back and give the money to you? That would give me greater joy, right? How many of you have kids like that? Right? Because we're not born into the world as givers, We're born into the world as takers, right? What's in it for me? And what Jesus wants to do in our life is totally transform us from the inside out that we are givers. We love people, we love God. When there's opportunities where where it's not so much how much do we have to give, it's how much can I give and afford to give, and can I give a little bit more? Because what's holy, we're not giving out a duty, we're not giving out an obligation, we're giving out a changed heart that's like the heart of God. And that's what he's after in our life. It's a supernatural work. And so Paul comes alongside these believers and he challenges them. And if you look at chapter 8 and verse 7, or verse uh, 9, or no, let's do 8, 7. Verse 7, he says, uh, he challenges. he says, uh, just as you excel in everything, you've been growing in so many areas of your life, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your earnestness, in your love for us. See to it, you excel in this grace. He says, he says, let's see if you're serious about following Jesus. You've been growing in so many areas. God's been transforming you from the inside out. You're back on track. So now is the time to take this next step. And so he, he lays out that challenge. And men and women, that's a challenge for us today too. The challenge for us is not a specific program we're working right now, it's not a specific project. The challenge for us is just in our hearts today. And the challenge is, have you given all that you are and all that you have, because if you haven't, if you haven't I can tell you this, you are not experiencing the life Jesus came to give you. Because until we surrender our finances, the truth is, there is a different God on the throne of our life. And whenever you serve finances, you live under financial uh, asset authority, which brings fear and it brings greed and it brings self-absorption. When you replace that on the throne with Jesus, guess what? The king, when King Jesus is on the throne, the kingdom of God comes to your life. And, and your whole relationship moves to a different level because, because now he's truly God. In Romans we're told that the kingdom of God is is not eating and drinking, it's righteousness, it's joy, it's peace. Did you notice the joy these people had? Did you catch that in verse 2? Out of their extreme poverty and their severe hard times, this overflowing joy is welling up. Why? Because God is on the throne. And even in the midst of these hard times, financially persecution, there is joy in their life. It's welling up, right, Because, because Jesus is on the throne. And so when we take that step, our life goes to a whole new level. The power of God's released and God begins to entrust true spiritual riches and we begin to experience the life he has. Can I tell you this? We'll talk about this more in this series. Often that even even comes with financial blessings, right? Because as long as finances are on the throne, as long as it's the idol, God dare not bless us because we'll just worship it more and become more under the power. We'll become more greedy. But once we surrender, that God often begins to bless more because now we're under his authority and he can trust us. He can trust us that it won't become a God and he can trust us that when he needs that money, he can use it. He's been given authority. And so it's an incredible challenge that we would become like Christ. And and it's a challenge that I bring to you today. Are you a follower of Jesus? you say yes, then my next question is, have you surrendered your finances? And if you say no, then I say, how in the world do you claim to be a follower of Jesus when he said so clearly it is impossible to follow God and money? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, these are strong words today. Uh, This is a strong message, but it is a message of truth that you brought to us, that you didn't mince words, you didn't negotiate, you didn't cut quarters. You came right to us and you spoke to our hearts and said, men and women, if you wanna enter my kingdom, you have to decide, is it God or is it money? Because sooner or later, if you're following me, you will stop following when I ask you to do something in this area of your finances. And so Jesus, you've laid it out and we truly want to unleash that movement of passionate Christ followers and, and we know it's never gonna happen until we surrender our hearts, we experience your power in our lives, and that our resources are available for you to use to fund your movement. And so, God, we pray that even in the quietness of this moment, as we worship, as we sing this song, I Surrender All, as we sing this song, I Lay It Down, that that we would truly, in this moment, if we never have before, or if we've done it a million times, that every one of us would do exactly what this passage talked about, we would give ourselves afresh to you all i have all i belong is there anything you want to talk to me about in the way i make my money and the way i spend my money and the way i give my money and the way i save my money and the way i invest my money jesus is there's anything you want to say and that today we would submit and listen And and as we surrender, we would move into life with you. And you would change us from the inside out. And so that's our prayer, God. And as we come today, as we bring our offerings, which are truly a sign of our love and affection for you, the sincerity of our love, we pray that you would use them to extend your movement, that hundreds and thousands of people would be able to come to Christ because we are here today loving you well and surrendering our life in the area of finances. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. And that's the heart cry of a believer. Like time and time again, uh, Jesus comes to us and he says, okay, this is the next area. And he says, I'm asking you to lay it down. I want you to lay it down. If you lay it down, I will rise up. But I need you to lay it down. And so that's what's happening with the Corinthians. He says, you, you excel in so many areas. You know, your knowledge, your earnestness, your love for us, your faith, your speeches. But, but now it's time to lay this down. It's time, it's time to grow in this area. And so the heart cry of, of a Christ follower is, is, God, I lay it down. Jesus said, it was prophesied of him that when he came, he said, Sacrifices you have not required, O God, but a body you have given me. He said, I, I delight to do your will. He said, this is what he said, I delight to do your will. And that's what Jesus does when he changes our lives. He, as we surrender that, that following God becomes his joy to say, your will your way always that's the hard cry of Christ followers it's your will it's your way always and it's my joy to say that it's my absolute joy to say that and so maybe we be a church that lays it down every week every week we come every week we learn and we we take that next step and we lay it down and then we rise a little bit higher and then we, we come the next week we learn next week we lay it down and then and we rise a little bit higher and every week we, we die a little bit more to our old life. We rise with him to the new life. Amen? amen. and Amen. I want to be a church like that. <laughs> okay, and I tell you something. The rule of thumb in churches, 20% of the people give 80% of the funds. You know, in churches, 20% of the people volunteer and do 80% of the ministry. I, I dream of a day... What if we are a different kind of church? What if we were a kind of a church that, that we're all laying it down? <laughs> what would be a church if, if we all responded to the call of Jesus to fund his ministry? What would be a day for a kind of church that we, we all were saying, God, here's my gifts and my resources and, and I wanna use them to, for you. I'll use my, my gifts to serve. What would it would be like to be a church that is a model for other churches what would it be like to be a church that the Apostle Paul was saying, like, hey, there's a church down there in SoCal, right? It's the Church of Rocky Peak. Let me tell you the story of what God's doing, this grace He's doing, He's releasing in their lives, and, and He's just moving powerfully. And I want to be that kind of church, right? <laughs> uh, I, can, can I tell you something? God has placed this in, in the heart of this culture. we live in Los Angeles, entertainment cultures right there. we got two million people right here in the the valley. We've got another smidgen over in Simi Valley, right? Right? We've got these, God has placed us on a hill, man. We're right, but we're the 118 freeway. Like everyone's got to go past us. Everyone's got to see the cross, right? You, you You can't go to this valley without seeing that cross. We're here, right? Right here. Okay, so, so that's the church I want to be. I, I want to be the church that, that people say there's something going on up there. But I'm hearing stories about what's going on. Lives are being changed. People are being coming to Christ. Marriages are being healed. Addictions are being freed. They're, they're, they're loving people well. They're serious about following Jesus. I want to be that church, right? And I want to invite you to come with me on this journey. And can I tell you something? It will never happen ever happen in a million years if we don't bow the knee to Jesus in the area of our finances because number one we won't have the resources to fund this movement and number two we won't have the heart and the experience and the presence of God in our midst So that when people of God comes in, when people come in who are far from God, they will sense it the moment they come on our campus. That the presence of God is here because the king is king here and the kingdom of God reigns here. Amen? Amen. And so I want to invite you to join me in that journey. And if you're holding out on him, I would ask you don't be like that young man that turns away and goes away and misses the greatest deal of his life. Man, he may, he may have been in stocks and commodities, I don't know. But on that day, he missed the greatest opportunity of his life to become a follower of Jesus. I don't want to be a church of those kind of people, do you? I don't want to be that. I no, want to be a church of people that say, yes, Lord, your will, your way, always. And it is my joy to say that. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Next week, continue this journey. Great teaching as he continues chapter after chapter. Amazing teaching. We're going to get some more specifics on what it looks like to, to follow God in this area of, of giving, spontaneous giving, uh, uh, systematic giving, what, what the word says about that, what Paul says in these chapters. It's a great, great time. If you have to be on vacation, be sure to podcast it because uh, it's happening here and you don't want to miss it. Amen? Until then, may, may the God of, may the God of, the creator God be with you. May the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, be king in your life. May he rule in the throne, and and may you experience his power and his kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace as you lay it down every day for him. Amen? Amen. God bless. Love you guys. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org, where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.